Welcome to the Kingdom Influencing Podcast, and I'm your host, Derek L. Calhoun. KIPP, for short, brings you an exclusive look at the nature of humanity as we interface with culture and society in and out of our relationship with God. It explores the unique and contrasting position of having a biblical worldview versus a secular or societal worldview. I will explore these topics using the powerful and dynamic tools of the didactic narrative, teaching a relevant truth through storytelling, biblical exposition, teaching Bible principles, and of course, real talk. My background scans a diversity of over 35 years of work in education, government, law, ministry, business development, and consulting, respectively. Each guest speaker will bring a variety of wisdom and insight to life topics and situations that we encounter on a daily basis. So all I need you to do now as listeners is to sit back and enjoy the podcast, spread the word about KIPP, the Kingdom Influencing Podcast, and I will be your host, Derek L. Calhoun. That's hashtag KIP, hashtag KIP. Help me to make KIP your favorite Friday podcast. Now, let's get started. Hey, KIP Nation, what's going on? How are you all doing today? I hope you are having a blessed day. As one of my good friends says, I hope your day is super fantastic. Listen, we've been having some real serious discussions over the last few weeks. There have been a lot going on in our communities. Uh, my prayers out to the Asian community uh, as another assault on their uh, uh, nationality, uh, ethnic group. Uh, the Taiwanese uh, were attacked in California a few uh, days ago. Around the same time, the Buffalo uh, uh, targeting and, and killings were and uh, it's just a lot going on in our country, a lot of hate crimes, and it's just too much love to have so much hate. And so we've got to fight back with fire, with fire, and hopefully we'll pray harder and we'll believe God more uh, for change in this country um, because we need change, and we need change now. We're just awarded uh, Ukraine. I guess Congress just voted to give the Ukraine $40 billion, but we got wars everywhere. We have wars all over the world, approximately 122 wars in session right now, including wars over in uh, Central and South America, uh, uh, in Mexico, and wars in uh, Africa, and and wars in the Middle East, just wars everywhere. And uh, we need to just look at this thing, and I know the Bible says that there'll be wars and rumors of wars, but we need to, we need to pray for peace, peace in the Middle East and peace in the United States and peace in the Ukraine and just peace all over the world. And we need to share some of that wealth. We, I see us allowing people to come over from different countries, but we need to look at the countries that they're coming from and look at the entire uh, uh, picture of people who are under duress and stress and being uh, relocated from their homes in their countries. So let's be more mindful of what's going on and I hope our political officials as we continue to pray for them will see that uh, there's a lot of pain in our communities. There's, there's wars going on right in our urban cities that we still have yet to address. Even when we talk about Black Lives Matter, there's a lot of things we have not addressed. 
Uh, police brutality is one of them, but black on black crime is even a bigger crime to me. And uh, I hope one day that we really move to address those kinds of issues as well. Well, listen, today I, I, I was really moved by the movie Alice. I watched uh, that uh, last weekend and it blessed me. Uh, and then I watched a discussion about the making of the movie Alice. The L.A. Times at Sundance Film Festival uh, was hosted by Jen Yamato. Uh, Chase Bank sponsored that, and uh, it gave an insight to how it was written and directed. Uh, kudos to Kristen Verlinden, who was the writer, screenwriter, and the director. This was her first time directing debut. debut. She did an excellent job. Uh, Kiki Palmer, of course, was the lead actress and executive producer, and her acting, her lead acting was riveting. Common was also in the movie, but also kudos to Peter Lawson, who was the producer. So I, I looked at that, and it, it really depicted how uh, people were still in slavery uh, in the 1960s, uh, and uh, how they didn't even know that there had been an emancipation. And so it... it it journeyed or journaled the journey of uh, a young lady named Alice who was born and raised on a plantation, her family's family's family, all on a plantation. And mind you, the Emancipation Proclamation was over, uh, what, a hundred years past since uh, Lincoln had freed the slaves, and they never knew it. And making transition into regular society and then going back in a type of modern-day Harriet Tubman and freeing her family. It was an exciting, exciting movie. Her acting, again, was inspiring. It was emotional. It was uh, something of a work of art. And uh, I, it just blessed me, but it, it helped me to look at today's uh, topic, resilient love, and to just to know the, all of the things that I've been through as a human being. And many of you who are listening out there, you have been through some things. And sometimes we never get a chance to tell our story and we never get a chance for people to hear it. And when people hear another person's story, the hope is that they will not marginalize the story or diminish the story or dismiss the story because stories have uh, uh magnets that are in people's hearts and in people's lives and 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 people need to know that this is who I am because of what I am and um, and what I've been through and the things that we've been through the empirical experiences that we've had have shaped us even as a people but even as individuals it has shaped us and and I thank God for our experiences because um I still love people, regardless of the things that have gone gone I've gone through in my life. I, I want to just kind of talk for a minute, just regress for a minute, because I was talking to one of my Guyanese friends and from Ghana, and when we were we were sharing, and he just brought something to my attention about um, the Middle Passage and people coming from Africa here, and he shared with me from the perspective of an African of how they tell their story about how resilient their people are and how resilient my ancestors are. 
and the way that they came over in the end of the summer but had to endure winters that they had not harsh winters that they had not had to endure in Africa and yet they survived and he talked about the resiliency of the people uh, from the continent of Africa and it just blessed me it blessed my heart as, as we talked about it but it also caused me to reflect in my own life and I want to tell you that Although we go through things, we need to understand the grace of God, the evidence of God working in our lives, giving us the ability to do what we couldn't do if he was not working through us, how we made it. Aretha Franklin used to sing a song, how we made it over. I look at my life in 1973 in the third grade, and I remember one of my friends, Jacob, being accosted in class by our teacher because he didn't clean his desk properly or something minor, but she turned it into a monstrosity of a situation by throwing, overturning his desk in front of the entire class, leaving him standing there in tears. He was already an introvert, uh, very quiet, didn't say anything, uh, but it was one of those things that exacts trauma on a child. And uh, he he didn't say anything. He just stood there and cried. And I never forget the look in his face. And I, I remember going home to tell my mom and she became an advocate for his mom and, and went up to the school because these kinds of things should not be in our urban public school systems. This should not happen. Uh, the next year, experienced something else. 74 in the fourth grade, watching my uh, teacher uh, who happened to be an African-American male, the only African-American male I've ever had that was in the classroom. And my depiction of the only African-American male that I've ever had in a classroom is watching him be thrown out of the classroom. Well, not necessarily literally thrown out, but he was given a pink slip. And literally, back in those days, in the 70s, they were really issued a pink slip. And they fired him, but it wasn't the fact that they fired him. Maybe he, he didn't do something. I, I don't know what the details of the story were. We were too young. It was the fact that they fired him in front of the class. No dignity, no respect, no pull him aside, no fire him before school or fire him after school, but right in front of the class. How embarrassing they had to be for him as a young man aspiring to be a teacher in a predominantly white school system. And then before, between 79 and 89, I experienced all kinds of microaggressions. And you, you know what microaggressions are. They're things that you can point to that happen to you as an African-American individual uh, by our uh, white brothers and sisters. And some of it intentional, some of it not. But just little things that they say that uh, uh, they prick at your soul. They, they, they cause you to wonder, you know, uh, did I actually do that? Did I actually say that? Was I actually that bad? You know, sometimes it's easy to develop a reputation because of the color of your skin when you're in a predominantly white setting. And it's very, very difficult to shake once you get that. Ask me how I know. But between 79 and 89, I was told at least twice, high school and college, that I would never amount to anything again by my white brothers and sisters. Now, listen. I'm sharing my story so people can hear the story because there are people out there that identify with the story, but not so that because it's not all white people I'm talking about. It's, these are just isolated encounters that I dealt with and had to deal with 
uh, during the course of my life, during the course of my parents' life. My mom told me about cross burnings in, in Georgia and Alabama on her uh, father's property. Uh, these are things that actually happen. And we need to understand as, as we become, uh, as we embrace our humanity, that we all have sensitivities and we all have experiences. And we, again, we cannot diminish the experience or sweep the experience under the rug. We have to acknowledge these experiences and then work within the context of our own individual families and our own individual uh, communities to do better to do better one towards another, to love better, to hope better, to help better, to secure better, to just be better than we've been in the past. Because all of these things can make you very bitter. And for a season in my life, I was very bitter. I was 16 years old, uh, hanging out with my cousin in Newton, Mass. And uh, it wasn't long before uh, we were in, we left Newton and went to some other little uh, suburb there, and I was called a, a nigger for the first time in my life, right outside of the city of Boston. I mean, I was only 16. I was minding my business. I didn't say anything to anybody, didn't do anything to anybody. It just happened. And it was one of those things that we have to, I had to absorb and, and, and deal with and talk to my mom about, talk to my dad about, and what was that all about, you know? I mean, I could see if I did something, but I didn't do anything. So it was just one of those things, and I wanted to, my initial uh, uh, emotion was to fight. I wanted to fight, but they were in a motor vehicle, they were moving and just yelled out the window and said what they said, and I've, I've had lots of incidences like that. Terms, derogatory terms, you know, people in transit just yell out the window and say crazy stuff. I was pulled over at 16 when I was in Alabama on a dark country road. I thought it was the police. I thought it was the right thing to do but to pull over, but it was really teenagers playing a prank on me. And then, of course, called out of your name, and they drive off. And the craziness and the madness of it is my mom and my grandfather said, don't ever, no matter what, pull over on, a, on an Alabama or Georgia country road by yourself. Uh, drive all the way home, get home to a safe place, and if they need to talk with you, they can talk with you in front of all of us. So it, it was these kinds of things. And even today, uh, I have daughters, I, I have uh, grandchildren. Uh, I have to raise them differently. Uh, they just can't say anything uh, that they want to say. If they get pulled over by a police officer, they, they have to have a certain deportment and certain de uh, decorum in order to survive a simple traffic stop. And that's not, again, that's not the fallacy of composition where I believe all police are like that because I truly don't believe that. I have some friends that are police officers, both state troopers and uh, community police officers, and we're great friends. I love them, love them dearly, but there are those that need to be uh, uprooted out of their uh, positions of, of authority and their positions of wanting to promote white supremacy or whatever the heck it is that they're uh, uh, angry about. And uh, they need to be dismissed and they need to be uh, targeted and, and pulled out of these police forces so that people can see that the police force is not our enemy. It's just some people within the police force that have that kind of disposition. So, 
it's these kinds of things. And I was exposed, like I said, to a litany of other microaggressions from even on when I was older. I was 24, 25, uh, working for a law firm uh, downtown K Street, which was like Wall Street in New York. And uh, had my, my suit on, my trench coat, umbrella, wingtips, the whole nine yards. And I watched my colleagues get picked up by cabs when they hailed a cab and watched cabs after cab after cab roll past me. And it, it, it did something to me. I, I remember just a, a tear rolling down my cheek because it was like, man, what is this? You know, I'm dressed appropriately. I, 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 there's nothing I'm doing wrong except the color of my skin. And these are the kinds of things that cause people to have bitterness in their heart but God has blessed me. Uh, I'm a born-again believer. I got saved when I was 19 years of age. And he always gave me this resilient love. This resilient love. The ability to bounce back. The ability to bounce back. And although I still had some uh, resentment in my heart. And I was called on it by one of my deacons. And um, I told him some of the stories that I, I shared today with, with you guys. And even when I was a, a court reporter working out of Pittsburgh on a case for the SEC, the Ivan Bosky case, and uh, we used to have these tapes that we made in the court reporter, and we were paid by the length of the tape. And they, would, they took my tapes, my boss took my tapes, gave it to his friends, gave me lesser tapes, and, of course, reduced my pay and reduced the prestige of that in the case that I was working on. And it was... You know, when I talked about it, it gave me some bogus excuse and it was what it was. Either you accept it or you get fired. So it, it was one of those things. I remember working on a corporate case in uh, New Jersey at the Allied Signal Corporation. And this was, of course, the entity I was working for. We were working for Allied Signal, but the team uh, of uh, legalists that I was working with, uh, we were in a conference room and we were all doing the same thing. However, I was singled out of the group, the only black person in the room, and talked to in such a way that if I didn't uh, tone it down or whatever, that I'd be sent back to D.C. So I, I've I've had these things, and these are this this is just a small sample of the kinds of things that I've had to go through, and it left bitterness in my heart. And it wasn't until I went to uh, Trace Diaz. In Connecticut with some friends of mine where we went literally uh, was sponsored by a predominantly white uh, Christian group and when we were there the first day they, we were asked to join hands and when I joined hands uh, the young man next to me he stuck his finger out at me he wouldn't give me his hand and I told the friends that had brought me there this that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about that's why I didn't want to come to this retreat but they managed to get me to stay for the course of the week course of the week and I'm saying all this to say is that I got a chance to talk it out with brothers, my white brothers, who were sensitive to the plight of black people in America. There have to be some people that are sensitive to your plight, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're Mexican, uh, what, whatever your nationality may be, or your ethnic group. There has to be some people who are sensitive to what you've been through to talk you through to release the spirit of bitterness. And they talked me through it. We prayed about it. We, we, I told them stories from high school, 
just just the whole nine yards. And even the young man who wouldn't give me his hand, he gave me his finger and he said it because when he was raised in Nebraska, his daddy raised him to believe that black people were ignorant, were coons, and that we had tails. And it was just one of those things. He was acting out of his upbringing. And um, at the end of the day, uh, we all shared. He shared his story. He asked forgiveness. I forgave him. He forgave me. We we embraced. And it was the most uh, a passionate hug, but it was a release because he got a chance to tell his story. And I got a chance to speak my truth. And so we have to be in a place, Martin said this, Martin Luther King said this many years ago, that the reason that there's so much animosity between the races is because we have not sat down to the table and communicated with one another to find out that we're more alike than we are different. And so I I want you to understand something about racism as I close out this message today. Racism is a spirit. And we cannot fall to the trick of the enemy And that is simply to divide and conquer. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood. This is Ephesians 6 and 12, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We need to be very, very clear. In spite of Buffalo, in spite of Charleston, in spite of George Floyd, in spite of all of the things we see, these are not just natural anomalies, but these are spiritual attacks of the enemy to keep us uh, divided and to keep us separated, even intra-separated, because all black people are not on the same page, just like all white people are not on the same page. There's no ethnic group where the whole uh, group is on the same page. There are different diversities of groups, and so we have to learn to come together. But as Christians, we need to understand this, that no weapon formed against us shall prosper and we cannot allow the spirit of racism to uproot us and take over our minds and take over our hearts and take over our countries and take over our family watch this second corinthians 10 and 4 for the weapons of our warfare are not cardinal but mighty through god to the pulling down of strongholds so remember this and i want you never to forget this and i said this last week and i'll say it again this week as i close There is no one in the earth who's experienced more tragedy, more hurt, more betrayal, more lies, more deceit, more deception, more pain than Jesus Christ himself, more isolation uh, than Jesus Christ. No one, no one, no one has been impacted like he has. And he died for our sins so that we could expose the tricks of the enemy, so that we could see the sleight of hand of the devil and understand that racism is a spirit and it first needs to be fought in the spirit realm as well as in the courthouse, as well as in uh, on the hills of Capitol Hill. Yes, we need to fight in the natural realm and the spiritual realm, but we need the duality of the fight. You hear me? The duality of the fight. And maybe some of us have the, the, the calling to deal with it in the natural realm and others have the calling to deal with it in the spiritual realm. But the point of the matter is it needs to be dealt with and addressed and we need to address it as a united front. Listen, that's, that's all I want you to know, a united front. And if we do that, we will overcome by the words, the words of our testimony and the blood of the lamb. 
You've heard my testimony. I have overcome. God is with me. He is a resilient God. We are resilient people and we will overcome because of his resilient love. You've been listening to the Kingdom Influencing Podcast. I'm your host, Derek L. Calhoun. Remember to share, remember to repost and subscribe if you have not subscribed. I love you guys. I hope that you'll remember this one statement. Love God, love people, and influence the nations. Have a great day.